two podcasts in one week. You guys are getting spoiled. Or you're getting really annoyed of Brad and I's voice. Either way, you're listening to CB Central Pod. We appreciate it as always. College Hoops, after a slow start, finally heating up with some big name games um, over the weekend and leading into Champions Classic on Tuesday. And really, Brad, what is a great slate from Tuesday the 15th through really December 1st? Um, for I mean, all even, of the, yeah. even tomorrow's Butler-Penn State game is very intriguing. Yes. But yeah, Penn State spreading out small. They're playing Dorsey at the five, who's like your P.J. Tucker, maybe poor man Grant Williams type of player. You have a lot of talented scoring guards around them. And then they've blown out both their bye games, covered both games. And you look at Butler, who now has one of the best shot blockers in the country. And we'll see if he can impose his will against a smaller Penn State front line, or is Penn State going to pull him out and kind of expose him on the perimeter? Absolutely. But for all of the hate about the schedule and the lack of big games in the opening week, and if it's been talked about by us, it's been talked about by pretty much every college basketball pundit, whether it be podcasting, tweeting, live showing, whatever you do, there's been that conversation. And I just think like, it is so, so like, it, I, I almost think it's been forgotten how good of a schedule we do get from the 15th on, because I've seen some like wild takes like, Oh my gosh, college basketball should never start before Thanksgiving. College basketball should not start until January, yada, yada, yada. And yes, it's a competitive time in the sports calendar, but like, let's go through here quickly what, what we're looking ahead to. And we will preview some of these games here towards the end of this show. So champions classic Tuesday night, Kansas versus Duke, Michigan state versus Kentucky. Also that night, uh, Dayton at UNLV, Memphis at St. Louis, San Diego state at Stanford, Marquette at Purdue. Um, I mean, those are some really, really high-level games. Um, like that is a that is a strong, strong slate. There's some other like interestingish buy games as well to watch. Um, then Wednesday, Gonzaga at Texas, Iowa at Seton Hall, uh, VCU versus Arizona State on a neutral, Michigan versus Pitt on a neutral, on a neutral. Again, solid slate. Uh, two really high-level games. If nothing else. Thursday, we start the feast, the, the first wave of the of the tournaments. Neither tournament is great, but there are like some very solid teams in the mix, right? You know, mid-major teams that are are noteworthy, like uh, Colorado State, like a Loyola Chicago. Um, who else is in? in the, UMass Norman. is in one of them. Murray State is in one of them. Boise State. Um, who did you say? Furman. Furman. Brad, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Penn State, who you just alluded to, they're in one of those two Charles, uh, South Carolina events. So, uh, again, solid-looking slate there. You lead into then Friday, Baylor versus Virginia, UCLA versus Illinois, Villanova against Michigan State, Florida, Florida State, Oklahoma State, UCF, Indiana, Xavier. Again, loaded. Uh, a little quieter the next day because of college football. But even then, Maryland, St. Louis, Providence, Miami, those are good games. The, the Sunday, we get Gonzaga versus Kentucky, which could be one of the games of the non-conference. Houston at Oregon, VCU at Memphis. Uh, and then, uh, then then the 21st comes around, okay, three days of Maui. Th- that ends, 24th, Thanksgiving Day, PK-85 for four days, and all the other great Feast Week uh, events. Battle for Atlantis is in that mix. 
And then you flow right from there into ACC Big Ten Challenge, which has things like Indiana, North Carolina, uh, Michigan State versus Notre Dame. Um, those are just a couple uh, Ohio State versus Duke. Like the slate is really freaking good for the next two plus weeks. So sit back, enjoy it. Um, we will be bringing you lots of content and coverage. Please follow our Twitter accounts. Maybe mine more active than Brad. We will both be uh, firing off some takes as we go. Uh, and, and on Twitter, I mean, come on, Brad, give, give it a give it a go. Maybe I'll I'll uh, think about it. But one one very nice looking game on Sunday the twentieth, so week week from today, the winners is the uh, main event final. Yes. Right? So that's the winners of Illinois and UCLA versus Baylor and Virginia. So like a Baylor UCLA could be like a top ten. That's game. a huge yeah. That Sunday slate where you could do kind of Gonzaga Kentucky, uh, and then the win the, the winners and the losers for that matter of those game, of, of in that main event is dope. Right. So I'm I'm super excited. I'm excited about that field generally. It's like three teams that have a ton of roster continuity and Baylor. Uh, UCLA and Virginia, and then one team that's completely new in Illinois. And I'm very curious to see how that goes. I, I don't think it's going to go well for Illinois, but we'll see. All right, so we wanted to start with Friday, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, well, I actually wanted to start with kind of like a big picture theme, Brad, of opening week. I think if there's one way I would describe opening week, it's unpredictable. Because... I think if you look at a lot of the results we've seen, they just don't make a lot of sense if you look at that in combination with other information you know, right? Like we talked last week or last podcast, what, like four days ago, about the fact that Temple, a team we were very excited about in the preseason, lost to Wagner. Well, Temple then turns around and beats Villanova. Colorado loses to Grambling State turns around 48 hours later and beats Tennessee. Um, there have just been some weird, weird results like that. Uh, and again, part of it's college basketball. They're 18 to 22 year olds. It's consistently inconsistency is the name of the game in this thing. But I, I just think it's so kind of remarkable to see um, kind of big picture, just how much things can change in the matter of a few days. And also, why that's so important not to overreact or underreact too much at this time of year, right? Like you should not be selling all your Tennessee stock right now because they got beaten at home or on a home neutral in, in Nashville. Neutral in Nashville. Um, yeah. Okay. That's not, not very neutral. Um, that's right in the middle between Knoxville and Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> um, either way, right? Like you should not be selling your Tennessee stock because they lost to Colorado just like you shouldn't have claimed that Tennessee is locked to win the national championship when they blew out Gonzaga. You shouldn't have said Temple stinks when they lost to Wagner, but then that they're great because they beat Villanova, right? Like things are going to happen in the, in the first month that make no sense. Things are going to happen generally in college basketball. Individual results are, are very fickle. Res, you know, certainly it's very impacted by where you're playing, um, what you're coming off of. I know like, we're podcasting live as North Texas and St. Mary's play and North Texas is losing by 28 points because they haven't practiced all week or even had a shoot around all week because their whole team has the flu. Like 
Aren't they down yeah. their two best players too? They're down their they're down their best player for sure. Ruben Jones. I don't know if they would call him their second best player, but they're down two really key players. So again, things things just get really interesting in a hurry, and I think overreacting to any result is a bit much. But I think the biggest thing that we've always said, Brad, is like the early season results you want to take the most note of are when the things you worried the most about are coming to fruition. When the the things that are problems are confirming what you already thought might be a problem. Uh, and I, I think it'll be, it'll be good for us to kind of run through some of these results. So, um, well, so for like the overall theme of the first six days, I mean, I don't think it's been too crazy. No, I, I mean, on that opening night, there were so many games that just we were going to get some of the buy game upsets. Um, and then there, there, there have been a few kind of not surprising, but reassure, uh, reaffirming ones like the Louisville two buy buy game losses. Um, I, I mean, every every person on the planet had this pegged, where not recruiting guards is an issue. Like the teams that are blowing out teams in their buy games have really good guard play and they have really stingy defenses, right? That's that's how you get like Texas winning their buy game by like 56 or whatever. They won like 81 to 35 or something. Also, who you scheduled does matter. Houston Christian is horrendous. Right, but there there are plenty of teams that played horrendous games and did not win uh, and didn't hold the opponent to 34 points. I agree. Uh, it's, it's, it's the teams that are a little more offensive-minded or kind of lack that elite guard play where – the other team can get hot. Um, but so the the Louisville going 0-2, and, and they have, in terms of the analytics, their their toughest game yet coming on Tuesday against Appalachian State. Um, so we'll see if they can bounce back. Um, obviously short on talent, short on guards. And then this this pack, pack swack challenge, which I've seen some some pushback being like, you know, why are we criticizing the schedule instead of the team's poor play? I think Ken Palm had that. Somebody else had that as well. But I've I've been long on the record from this, from when Tom Crean took Indiana, I think, to Purdue-Fort Wayne. Oh, yeah, that when, was a legendary game. The kid Cooley was drinking took, bleach on the court post-game. Yeah, when, when Cooley had Providence play at Brown and then didn't have two of their best players playing the game. Um, what do you gain with a win? Nothing. If you, if you don't gain anything with a win, why are you scheduling the game? Well, so so right. Let's, let's talk about the Pac-12 challenge quickly. Um, so the, I believe it's called the Legacy Series. And again, the idea behind it is very noble, right? Like a lot of elite athletes are black and don't wind up going to HBCUs, don't understand HBCU culture. And it's an opportunity for them to, kind of get a better understanding of of their own of of something that they're missing in their college experience while also empowering um some of the HBCU programs to get a, a higher level home game that could bring in more ticket sales that could bring in more money for the athletic department right in a different way than just having to play buy games and i think that's again it's a noble pursuit um i think the where i come down on is this number 1 it's absolutely true that 
it, it, it's absolutely true that this will hurt the Pac-12, right? Like, and it's that, and it's also absolutely true that, like Ken Palm says, like it is the teams' fault more than anything. If you're Arizona State, you should not lose to Texas Southern. I don't care if it's played on Mars. If you're Colorado, you should not lose to Grambling State. I don't care if it's played on Mars. Same thing. Wherever the game is played, those are, you, you should win that game. You're more talented. Number two, this challenge, I think, while noble in like, – it, it's a noble pursuit, but without, like, actual structural change in college athletics – it's just a self-inflicted wound, right? Like it's great. It gets a great step in the right direction to like having mid, mid and low major programs have a real opportunity to start giving them home games. But if no one else is going to do that, right? Like if the big 10 is just sitting there playing a normal schedule, not going on the road, not doing whatever. And the Pac-12 is just willingly rolling the dice on taking a horrendous loss then yeah, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And then number three is that I think if everyone had to play on the road and play like uh, play a couple of non-con games on the road at mid-majors every year, you would see how much harder it is to win those games. And again, that's to, not to excuse these performances because Colorado absolutely needs to beat Grambling and Arizona State absolutely needs to, to beat Texas Southern. But I I think if you put, you know, if you made Arizona State play two teams a year on the road who are in... You know, the Southland, the SWAC, the Sun Belt, the WCC, the Big West, right? And you told Big Ten teams that they have to go on the road to Horizon League teams and Big East teams that they go on the road to MAC teams. If you force them to do that, there would be more results like this. Teams would lose these games. They aren't givens. And it's, it, so it's, it's it, the power structure in how college athletic scheduling works dictates that we don't get more results like this. And I guarantee the way that these results are happening is not going to encourage more of this type of scheduling. It's going to make less. Of it. So great win for Grambling. Great week for the SWAC. I mean, the SWAC won uh, games against Arizona State, Wichita State, Colorado. Pine Bluff pushed the heck out of TCU in Oklahoma. Uh, there were a couple of other close results as well. Like, it was a great week for that league. But at the end of the day, if you are doing this as a one-off, you are still creating a self-fulfilling negative prophecy where the only thing that can happen to you is a bad thing. Okay. First of all, this was really not great for any of the parties in terms of how it was intended, right? So I'm looking here at the attendance from today's Arizona State at Texas Southern game. According to ESPN, it says 3,100 people went, which is 39% of attendance. They couldn't even fill their arena with a Pac-12 team coming to town. Uh, what what day was was uh, Grambling, Colorado? Was that Friday or Thursday? It was Friday. All right. I'm, I'm gonna pull. I up would that. imagine. I would imagine similar. I, I understand your point. So instead of getting buy game money, they had less than half attendance. No, the, the, the money isn't going to work itself work itself out even yet. Like the hope would be that. By having better games, you eventually start getting more season ticket holders and you start to build your fan base, right? But All again, right. it can't happen on a one-off, right? Like getting one Pac-12 game every four years, as this thing dictates, does not actually solve the problem. Again, it's a nice step. Guess what the attendance was at Colorado at Grambling State. I don't even want to know. 837. 
So if, if one of the objectives of this was to, you know, get a nice mid-major atmosphere, pack the house, I mean, that clearly did not happen. If the Pac-12 went three, and now we, we still have Washington State at Prairie View, which is either tomorrow or Tuesday, Monday the 14th or Tuesday the 15th, I'm not sure which one. But if if the Pac-12 went 3-0 and in, in these games, no one would have cared. No one would even have known that they happened, that they were even on the road. There was no, there was nothing to gain here from playing these games. Other and than the experience for the student-athletes, yeah. The game wasn't even televised. They're on ESPN+. Plus. Correct. So if a tree falls in the forest, I, I mean, behind the streaming, the lack of attendance, and the lack of benefit from the... the uh, Pac-12 teams with a win. They had everything to lose. And, you know, I didn't have Colorado or Arizona State particularly close to the NCAA tournament in the preseason. And, you know, we'll like, we'll touch on Colorado Tennessee later. But, you know, losing to these SWAC teams in the road kind of re- reaffirms that, right? And we're saying, well, if more teams had to play mid-major teams on the road, these types of results would happen more often. Probably. Why? Why would we want to do that, right? These, whenever these games happen, they're one-offs. It's embarrassing for the high major team that loses. The games are never televised on a main why, stage. Why would it be? But why would it be better? Like what? What? Why? So 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 what? What if you made a rule? What if you made a rule that every, you know for every five by games you play, you have to play one road game. Like one non-power conference road game. But what what does that change no way do to help college basketball? That doesn't what? do anything to help college basketball. Well, that it, game's not more interesting for the casual fan. No, yeah. but it it, it advances it, it it advances opportunity for the for smaller league for 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 teams in smaller leagues gives fans a reason to care, right? Like you're saying, okay, well, only three thousand people went to Texas Southern. Like those three thousand people that mattered to them though. Right, like that—that that kept those people engaged. They're, they're in Houston. It's a huge sports town. There was an NFL game today. The, 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 the Giants played the Texans. Like that game mattered to those three thousand people. Those three thousand people might become season ticket holders, and some of them probably already were. Those, some of those might be students who are going to come to games and they had a good experience. They're not going to come to other games. Like, right? Like, I, I'm not again. I, I'm not saying for the biggest programs it matters at all, and I'm not saying. It would even have a huge impact on the low, 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 lower major programs. But wouldn't it be? A, I, I don't. I guess my point is just like it. It should be a good reminder to people that the teams that play in the MAC and in the Southland and in the Sun Belt and in the SWAC and in the Big West are really competitive teams, right? Like they win these games and and they they play competitive by games often, right? Like they're in those games. But they would have a much better chance to actually win those games if they got an opportunity to play those games on their home court. That's all. That's all the point is. And I'm sticking with my. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not disagreeing. It's also why it's never going to happen because the people who make the most money in college athletics have no value in this, right? I, I'm, I'm with you. It, 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 it is an, it, it is a clearly altruistic move if you, if you were to start doing this. It is a handout to the lower major programs. No question. If if they filled up their arenas, that was one thing. If they put the game on even ESPN U or ESPN News or well, something. If there were more of those games, they'd have a better chance of getting on television. 
But now when they're so unique, they can't even get on television. Well, why, why, why would, why would, why would you put Texas Southern versus Arizona State on ESPNU when they were showing like the Asheville Championship on ESPNU? It's a real championship that we already know the outcome. No, the the you didn't know the outcome of. It's a bad MT this year. The field was poor. Last year oh, they had like oh, Minnesota. Oh, you the Asheville championship. I thought you meant for, uh, Kansas versus UNC. No, no, no. I said Asheville. My apologies. Oh. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that's th- those are my main qualms with the fine. whole process. But So shall we get into some of these games? Yes. Okay. So we start with Gonzaga, Michigan State. A lot, a lot to take away here. Probably not worth overreacting to because, again, game played outside during sunset with wind on a boat. That said, I'm, like, officially worried about Gonzaga. I just, I, I just don't think Gonzaga's guards are very good. I mean, this was a very ragged game. Oh, yeah. I don't know how much you caught up with it um i i started on this and then ended up switching to temple villanova permanently mm-hmm. uh, the, the game it didn't didn't feel like a real game it, it, you know being outside um it was very up and down a lot of easy misses it, it court for some the court for some reason just felt smaller i don't know it, it just didn't feel like a real college basketball game to me that's fair and look like we're gonna see it right like Gonzaga's next next Gonzaga's next two weeks, road Texas home uh, home Kentucky, uh, PK eighty five, and then neutral Baylor. I guess my thing with Gonzaga right now, and I think they'll be fine, right? Like I don't think they're gonna stink, but I don't think Gonzaga can be like a truly elite basketball team if it doesn't get elite guard play because. Their defense is not going to be good. Like their defense, or it's not going to be great, right? Like we we know that if Drew Timmy's playing the five a bunch, or really Drew, and, or and even if he plays the four, and you play Afton Reed or you play um, Anton Watson, right? Like this team's defense is not going to be like super high level defense, and that's just the nature of Timmy. So you're not going to be that elite on defense if you're only getting okay point guard play. And your best guard is Rajir Bolton. Yeah, I'm, like I, I worry about that. Like that's not a team that wins a national championship, right? Like the last two years, Michigan or Gonzaga, excuse me, has had teams that could very legitimately win national championships. They haven't gotten it done, but there was nothing like inherently flawed with Gonzaga last year that was going to stop them from being able to compete for a championship. They ran into a very good Arkansas team. They struggled generally with physicality. Um, you know, two years ago they struggled with. Um, you know, the, you know, the ability for Baylor to put Timmy in ball screens, but they had elite guards. They were unguardable, basically, offensively. They feel a lot more guardable. And, like, the fact that Nolan Hickman is basically getting benched in the second half, the fact that Malachi Smith had zero assists and three turnovers in this game, uh, the fact that uh, in the final 15 minutes or so of that game, Gonzaga basically ripped up the playbook and just started throwing it to Timmy on the block instead of uh, running their – you know, traditional ball screen offense, that concerns me a lot. 
And, you know, Hickman has all the ability in the world. We've talked about it before. He looks like a million bucks out there. He's big. Uh, he's got, you know, kind of that, that flow. Yeah. Like, it looks it looks good. But not a lot actually seems to happen when he's on the floor. And I think that's a real concern. Because if Nolan Hickman's just like an average point guard, he's just a guy, I don't think this Gonzaga team is – a top five caliber team. And I mean, Strother and Hickman are both seemingly legitimate second round prospects, but neither seem to be that A plus college creator uh, that we saw with Andrew Nemhard and Jalen Suggs and Nigel Williams Goss all, all the way down the line in uh, recent Gonzaga point. Yeah. Um, and then on the Michigan State side, Brad. Um, I don't know what you thought. I, th- I thought they were really, really solid. They were kind of, they were, they were probably the best version of what you could have kind of hoped for them to be. Sissoko was really good, especially the first half. The foul trouble was a real problem. Joey Hauser struggled. Um, Aikens is still not where he needs to be in terms of like, oh, breakout year. And Jackson Kohler looked awful. But this team kind of has that chip, that dog in them. They're like, they're going to be very competitive. Hogard is very good. Tyson Walker, we know can score. Like, I don't think of this team as, as being that like top 15 mix, but like I think they're going to be like I, I think they'll be a tournament team. I'm very curious to see again another team with a crazy tough schedule coming up. How do they navigate this? Like, we're going to learn a lot about Michigan State because I think the effort they put forth against Gonzaga is going to win them a lot of games. But again, I don't think we can learn too too much based on the aircraft carrier, and I think we have to acknowledge that Gonzaga may not be the top five team that we kind of pencil them in as right now. Absolutely. Um, Pierre Brooks hit some shots. I saw him hit one on the wing. He looks a little leaner. I mean, that's, that's going to be a welcome sign because, you know, what were we saying all preseason is why didn't Michigan State get a grad transfer wing that can come and hit shots? And if they have one on their roster, then. With Mary, I mean, all, all the hype the, the whole offseason, you know, was with Akins in a three-guard look or playing Hall and Hauser together, three and four. Uh, and Sissoko had a great game, super active, held his own on the defensive end, made Timmy work for it. Um, and while I saw a lot of Big Ten people in the preseason arguing that Michigan State had the best backcourt in, in – in that conference, I mean, that could be true, but still um, kind of missing a go-to score. Like, Walker can hit shots and make plays. Hogard's a great facilitator. Um, but they're kind of bo- both like BB-plus high-major guards. If, 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 if A.J. Hogard plus Tyson Walker is the best backcourt, it, it is considered a premier college basketball backcourt, that those two guys either made a huge jump that I did not see necessarily in the uh, bits of that game I was able to watch. Or college basketball guard play is just in a deeply, deeply down state. Speaking of teams with good guard play, if, if we can move on to Michigan State's opponent this week from the Villanova Temple game. Uh, hmm. Temple's got two great guards with Khalif Battle and Damian Dunn. The rest of their supporting cast is really lacking. I mean, Zach Hicks was supposed to be like a sleeper NBA prospect. He couldn't hit a shot. 
Um, the rest of their wings were really struggling to shoot. It was pretty much done in battle, going to get it off off the bounce. And then Jameel Reynolds was a beast inside, uh, played played with great energy, great great physicality. He was in foul trouble. Um, and despite Temple vastly outplaying Villanova, I mean, it was Villanova's game to win at the end. Daniels misses a bunny. They come down, and they benefit from a pretty questionable foul call that put Dunn on the line to ice it. Uh, but Villanova looked very sped up. They looked very... Um, they, they, they had to resort to just isolation post-backdowns with Caleb Daniels backing down a guard and then Eric Dixon backing down Reynolds or John Cooch. Uh, and it was very effective to get them back in the game. But they completely abandoned all kind of ball movement, all creativity, all um, kind of beauty and speed and prettiness for just put your head down and get to the rim. Um, and it worked until literally the last play where Daniels misses the bunny. Um, and then Temple goes down and seals it. So I, I'm, I'm not raising the alarms on Villanova yet because they don't have Cam Whitmore who's probably their best player with Justin Moore. I'm considering him out. I know people are excited that he might come back around Big East play, but for all, for all, for all intents and purposes, I'm considering Moore out and Whitmore good to go soon. Uh, and they could really use another guy who, who, who can get a shot because Longino looked good. Slater looked okay, but it was really just Daniels and Dixon putting their head down and making it happen. What again, right? Like point guard play. This is another program, like I, I said with Gonzaga, like they've had elite guards, right? Jalen Suggs, Andrew Nemhard, um, Josh Perkins, Nigel Williams-Goss, right? Like Villanova is point guard view in that sense. I mean, Colin Gillespie, Brian Archidiacono, Jalen Brunson, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Scotty Reynolds, right? Like the list goes on and on and on of the guys that they've had in that backcourt over the years. And their best teams have had very good point guard play. And I think the thing about them in this game is, and maybe Whitmore helps with this, even in the years where they haven't had necessarily elite point guard play, they've been able to kind of go high usage to like a combo type, right? Like think about like the Phil Booth year, where all of a sudden Phil Booth is playing on the ball like way more than you ever would have anticipated while they were bringing along someone like Gillespie. I'm not sure that, like, right now they have that. Like, maybe it's Caleb Daniels. But if Caleb Daniels is your, like, by far your best player, like, things might not be top 15, right? Like, that, that might not be pretty. So when you have Arch, Archie Diac- Chris Archidiacono playing, playing 36 minutes, you're probably in trouble, right? Like, Chris Archidiacono, great kid, good rebounder, um, you know, can be my ninth man. But 36 minutes of Chris Archiaco is way too much. And for all the excitement about Mark Armstrong, he didn't make an impact. He didn't make an impact in this game. Angelo Brisney was quiet in this game. The whole bench was invisible. The whole bench. So the impact of like, okay, we can bring in Whitmore now and, you know, get Archiaco off the floor. Get Longino back to the bench. Well, he's good. Longino? Yeah, he's really good. Right, but if you swapped him with Whitmore, then you have a legit bench guard. Who, who, who else are you taking on the floor? Unless you're going to play, like, who's your point guard? Caleb Daniels? Are you suggesting that would be the move? 
Like eventually, eventually the Justin Moore, uh, Caleb Daniels, Cam Whitmore, uh, Brandon Slater, Eric Dixon with Jordan Longino as your sixth man and Mark Armstrong at seven is like final, you know, final four good on paper. But that's assuming healthy Justin Moore. That's assuming Mark Armstrong. That's assuming a lot. And for right now, Villanova's like, they don't have enough options. And because they don't have a good or don't have high level point guard play, their offense is just bogged down. They're not Villanova. Wait, I'm, I'm not giving up on Armstrong or Brizzy for this season after two games. Hmm. But, um, I'm not saying so you should, but like Arch, Arch, Arch should not be playing 36 minutes. Arch can't play 36. Right, that's, that's like a safety blanket move. Where it's like, I, I, I trust that I can put this guy in and he won't kill me. Um, so he like won't actively was, lose us the game, yeah. I mean, Brizzy and Armstrong, I, I wasn't watching super closely on the defensive end or anything, but they seemed to be fine when they were in there. I mean, maybe they were making defensive errors, but... Um, I mean, Villanova was severely outplayed. They had this game won uh, and still blew it, but they, they have plenty of opportunities to make up for it, starting with Friday's Michigan State game. I kind of kind of think they get punked at Michigan State. The reason why I think it'll be fine is that they're, they're going to do this kind of ugly back-your-guy-down basketball. Like, Caleb Daniels is going to, like, back Tyson Walker or – whoever he can on a mismatch, just straight to the rim. Dixon's going to pull Sissoko out to the three-point line, or if it's Hauser, he's going to bully him under the basket. So I think it's going to be another ugly, you know, grinded-out affair. I think that's fair. I think the one thing I would say is, like, I just think an ugly, grinded-out affair favors Michigan State right now, and it certainly favors any home team. I think this team kind of has a chip, and I think Michigan State will win that game. So we'll see. Um, and Temple, I mean, you 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 further rue the missed opportunity against Wagner, right? A game you gave away, a game that you shot you, that your best player Damian Dunn shot 18 free throws and you lost. And made all of them, right? Yeah, 18 for 18. A game that at one point you had a 99.5% win probability. And you and, lost. And now Temple has Rutgers coming up. They have St. John's in their MTE. And then they'll have either Richmond or Syracuse. Yep. So they can they can get back on, on the right side in a hurry. Uh, right. just, but you, you've dug yourself a hole unnecessarily. Absolutely. So. Lots ahead for Temple. Um, we could talk somewhat quickly on Stanford, uh, Stanford, Wisconsin. You were there. Which I, I was I was there. It was fun, man. Like the venue was really cool. Shout out to Intersport. Um, they do a really good job putting on. You know, they they do like the CBS Sports Classic, the Fort Myers tip off. They did this game. It was so much fun. Like the there were like eighteen thousand Badger fans there. Um, their fans are great. Like the eighteen thousand. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, they were they were hoping originally to like pack the upper deck and have it be like 25 and be like a carrier dome type of deal. And it wasn't that, but it was really cool. Um, you know, you're literally like right in front of home plate. It's like, I, I was like walking around like pregame and like there's home plate 
like standing at home plate and then walking like two feet onto the court. Uh, and I thought, I thought I, I wasn't very impressed with either team and it was an ugly game. And part of that was, I don't think the shooting sight lines were very good. Um, one for 16 from three for Stanford. The one thing with like the arena with the football stadiums versus the baseball arena, baseball venue, right? Like, so a football stadium, at least you're shooting into like a straight back, right? Like the, the football stadium is, is, does not like change angles in the end zone. The baseball arena, the way the, the baseball field was set up, the football, the basketball court was basically going from like third base to first base, if you will, right? Like if I'm, that's not like the measurement, but like you get the idea. It's going in smack dab in the kind of the center of the center of the diamond, and so your like shooting backdrop was running diagonally as the field gets wider down the like down the lines. I do wonder if that made it. It made it harder because I felt like, I mean, I'll be honest, like I thought Stanford probably played better than Wisconsin in a lot of ways. They just could not make anything. And their team is much more reliant on being able to get open shots and make open shots. I think Stanford has big problems because Harris Ingram Ingram has not made the jump. He's the same guy. Um, But like Mike Jones is really good. Spencer Jones can really play. Um, Their bigs aren't great. Their point guard play is not great. But they have a chance to be pretty good when they make shots. And Wisconsin just kind of was more comfortable in a slot. They were more comfortable in a game like this. Um, their guards are not very good outside of Chucky Hepburn. They have no backup center to speak of at all. Um, but the freshman, this is a name to remember, Connor Asijan. He's going to be a, a nice player. He's going to be like, not as like a Bohannon type, but like he's going to really make shots. But he does more than that. Like he has a little shit to his game. Like he can... Um, he really cuts, he moves without the basketball, he competes, like that kid is going to be good. Like it wouldn't surprise me if he, he'll, I think he'll be the sixth man for this team. I think Klesman will continue to start. They'll need what they got from Jordan Davis in that game. I don't think they'll get it every night. Uh, but I think this season kid is going to really help them this year. And if they're a tournament team, he'll be a big reason why. Wisconsin has only Green Bay this week. Um, and then which? Absolutely. I locked it in. I didn't. I didn't have the balls to take Oregon State. Um, it's been a rough day, for, a, a rough week for scary games against teams in, in the 300s. So I, I couldn't risk the worst high major team. Uh, but then, which uh, NTE is Wisconsin in? Do, 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 do we know? I don't know if they're in the battle for Atlantis. They're playing gotcha. Dayton opener. Gotcha. So that'll be an interesting game. Absolutely, and they're they're not in the Gavit games this year. No, and I do think I do think they will struggle with their lack of firepower. I think when they play consistently with these, I I don't think like I don't think this is a Wisconsin team that's close to competing like truly for a Big Ten championship the way they've done. I think two of the past three years, like I don't think they're there just because I just don't think they have the weapons. But they're tough and gritty, and Wall's good, and like they had to use Wall to back up five at times. And again, that's the problem, right? Like, okay, well, you're going to put Wall in. Now Carter Gilmore is on the floor, right? Like, now, you know, now Jacoby Neath is in the game, right? Like, and these guys are just not good enough, right? Like, Jacoby Neath's not good enough to play in the Big Ten. Kamara McGee's not good enough to play in the Big Ten. Carter Gilmore is, like, barely passable. Marcus Ilver, again, I don't think probably good enough to play in the Big Ten. Chris Hodges, not good enough to play in the Big Ten. Like, there is a, there's a lot of not great here. And a lot of it's because guard is not necessarily the most um, 
proficient portal recruiter, but he may have gotten himself a starter in Klesman, who was quiet in this game, but he was in foul trouble. And I think a season will really help them. Um, next, we had a really, really fun Friday night tilt between Eastern Michigan and Michigan. Yes. Where Amani Bates was on a heater. He was hitting one-legged, fade away. He was pulling up from three. He, he, he had like 30 points. Uh, they were getting good action from Noah Farrakhan. He was getting the rim. Um, Connor Golson hit some shots. Legend Jeter hit some shots. Uh, and, and, and the game was right there for the take and just a few late mistakes from Eastern Michigan. They, they fouled the jump shooter, and they kind of went cold there at the end. Um, Michigan pulls it out. They look very shaky. Uh, but Dickinson's a beast, and Eastern Michigan's tallest guy was like 6'8". Um, so he really feasted. Um, well, Llewellyn, I thought that would be Imani Bates at 6'10", but he's like 180 pounds, so. Yeah, he wasn't guarding Hunter Dickinson. Uh, Ter- Terrence Williams looked fine. Jet Howard looked off. Uh, Lu- Llewellyn ultimately sealed it, but he looked a little shaky as well. Um, yeah. So Michigan's a team to watch. They have their MTE starting on Wednesday, um, and they get Pitt and then either Arizona State or VCU. So they should win win both those games. Pretty Very hard. manageable. How about they have potential Zeb Jackson, Brandon Johns ball? Absolutely. <laughs> Big time, but uh, yeah, like, I, Arizona I, State. Did, did uh, you see that Marcus Bagley's hurt again? I did not. That's unsurprising. Also, we, guess, does that mean we get a Frankie Collins bowl? Potentially. <laughs> My God, this but is we great. had um, well, and Frankie uh, Collins puts up twenty. What? What? I'm putting the over under on set at seventeen and a half for shots taken by Frankie Collins at a potential Michigan versus Arizona State game. I take the over, yeah. But Bagley, I guess, had a fall last week and has a hit pointer and good guy. This guy's made out of glass. He lasted two games, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see the Michigan. They need they need consistency from Jet and from Kobe Buffkin. Do and we have anything else on Friday? I don't know that there was anything else like super noteworthy. Toledo beat UAB. That should calm some of the like at large UAB buzz, which I think should be calm. Like I think UAB is a UAB is like a classic like 12 slash 13 seed team. They're going to lose games they shouldn't lose and push them like right to the bubble or slightly on the outskirts. And Toledo is really freaking good. Toledo has excellent three excellent players in Rachel Dennis, JT Shoemate, and Seth Miller. They couldn't be stopped uh, in that game. They're really, you know, they're really well coached. Todd, Todd Kowalczyk's offense is outstanding. Um, good for that. Great win against a very solid UAB team. Also, great win for Hofstra against Iona. Um, 26 from Tyler Thomas. Aaron Estrada was off that day. Didn't matter. Uh, and then the other result I had circled on that day, two results. One, UCF over Florida State. Florida State really in a hole right now and very banged up. Uh, and then San Diego State, not overly convincing at home against BYU, but very encouraging that they were able to win a game. It was in the 70s and 80s that Darian Trammell and uh, Jaden Day had combined 20, uh, 44 points. Very, uh, that, that's, a, that's an encouraging sign for me with this group. 
that they could win a game and go score to win it and go score with Matt Bradley shooting three for 16 from the field. Right. They couldn't do that last year. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic here with, with San Diego state. What do you think Tuesday night, Stanford and San Diego state, I believe at Stanford. I think kind of the same issue, right? Like Stanford's not ready to really be in a grit game. So I think San Diego state probably would be a big one to get. And for Florida state, I mean, they lose maybe like their worst rotation player in Naheem McLeod, but it pushes them again to a spot where you only have eight guys and you have like one big man. Yeah. They're um, running out of bodies. So, so despite having what you would probably say is their four or five best players on, on the entire roster, uh, you're just getting a little mismatched here. Absolutely. They got to embrace it. Throw Fletcher at the five, run out five best guys with Darren Green and Caleb Mills and Worley and Cleveland and Fletcher and just try to make it happen. But I know that that is not the Leonard Hamilton way, the man mm-hmm. who likes the 7 3 uh, rim protecting center. But. Yes. One more result, at least worth noting West Virginia ragdolled Pitt at home. Like Pitt. We talked about Pitt. Like if they're if this is a different Pitt, that they will uh, they would win that game. And I get that there was no Hughley, and Hughley's a very important part of that team. But Hughley ain't worth 25 points. And Trey Mitchell still coming off the bench. Didn't score in double figures, and you got ragdolled. You got punched them out. You gave up 1.2 points per possession. You got out rebounded. Uh, you turned it over like it was your job. Javarius Burton turned it over eight times. Like, that is a red alert game for Pitt. That is not a game that if you want to be the guy long-term for Jeff Cable, you lose by 25. You have to compete in that game. And we'll see them in their MT this week. Uh, they also have Northwestern, ACC, Big Ten. That will sort itself out. Someone has to win. But that was a very disappointing performance for Pittsburgh. And a, very encouraging for me as a – West Virginia stock buyer in the preseason, but and Jose Perez coming soon. On Saturday, we yes. had a trio of head scratching by game losses, and now we, we didn't mention Oregon lost to Irvine on Friday night. I did not watch the game. And Horrible. Are missing Oregon. That we should note that Oregon got didn't get beat. They got ragdolled. They got destroyed. Like in this, and and. It is so concerning to me, and I tweeted this, like, Oregon's whole issue last year was, like, it just didn't seem like they gave a shit. Like, Oregon Oregon was getting destroyed by Houston, and Houston seemed like they cared more when they were up 30 than Oregon did when they were down 30. Like, they walked off the court and looked like they were just, like, happy to go to the buffet in Vegas. Like, it was ugly. And so, like, to me, to see them – get punched in the mouth a little bit by UC Irvine, who's not like a vintage UC Irvine team, by the way. Like, this is not a, um, you know. Mama Duenzi not, is not walking yeah, through that door. Yes, yes. Max Hazard is not walking through that door. Colin Wealth is not walking through that door. Like, this is not a vintage UC Irvine team. So you go down 10 and a half, and you come out the gates and get hammered in the first four minutes? Like, that can't happen. That is inexcusable. And Oregon is talented, talented as all heck. I know they've been a little bit banged up. Jermaine Cousinard will help them once he's back. But what a wreck. What a disaster. And they better show something when they play Houston. Because they're playing Houston again. They're playing them in Eugene. On Sunday. On Sunday. And 
if you don't come to compete, like if, if you if you got out competed by UC Irvine, who is a very who is I think cut from the same cloth as Houston, but like at the mid-major level, if you got out competed by the mid-major team, what's going to happen when the team with two first-round picks, maybe three, walks through the door? You're going to get hammered. You know, Oregon was missing Cousinard and I think Rigsby, two rotation guys, but I mean they have more than enough juice. You're not getting ragdolled. Yeah, I mean. Will Richardson's one of the best guards in the country. They have one of the best front courts in the country with an NBA prospect in uh, Colorware as well. Yes. And Garrier is a good player. He, he was a no-show. Dante had a good game, but and looked like Biddle did as well. But um, they need more out of this backcourt. Uh, but on on to Saturday with the three really head head scratching uh, by games. One. Louisville did not bounce back. You know, I I saw this coming. Uh, not not with any basketball knowledge or strategy. It just it just felt that the vibes were uh, were still in the Louisville down, Louisville downward spiral. Um, we had that. We had Wichita State lost at home to Alcorn State. Um, really, I mean, what was once a team that we were arguing. You know, whether they should be a one seed or not, they're undefeated going into the NCAA tournament, right? One year, uh, pretty recently. Now, with the new regime, the Isaac Brown regime, they are really falling off. I was I was enjoying the tweet replies to Taylor Eldridge, their beat reporter. Um, there was a few, we should just take the bad PR and bring back Greg. I was like, no, no, you shouldn't. But I mean, maybe you should. I think there are other coaches you could hire who could win basketball games. We, we said last show, uh, Darren DeVries is one. Yeah. Well, I know he's going to try like hell for that job. Uh, and then lastly, URI lost at Texas State, which Ooh. may not have been an upset. Uh, but, you know, look, looking at this URI for the preseason, I thought that they'd be okay. And I know Anthony Harris. He is academically ineligible. Uh, but Brand Freeman's given them absolutely nothing. The the whole backcourt looks like a mess. There's not enough shooting. Um, they 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 look way further behind than I ever could have anticipated. I I I thought they'd be eighth in the A10. I thought they'd be borderline top 100, uh, but they look like a. Bottom. I had a coach in the uh, preseason tell me that Brian Freeman was like super overrated. Like they recruited him in the portal. And like really dove into the film, like oh crap, like this kid's not very good. Um, and so they were kind of happy to see him go to URI. I mean, he was a top 125. No, I, I and he was productive as a freshman. Like on paper, it's check, check, check. But like, all I'm saying is like I, I didn't dive into the film like that. I thought the bits I saw of him last year, he was fine, like pretty impressive for a young kid. But like all I'm telling you is like that's what one coach told me, and like it, like, it backs up that they've struggled. Um, Louisville, I was actually surprised. I thought Bellarmine was a really unique challenge um, because of the way that they pass, um, the way they run offense. I thought that Louisville would come out more energized, more focused. And again, like, I don't watch Louisville and say, wow, like, that team's not engaged. That team's not competing. That team doesn't want to be here. That team's not that team, I don't, I don't even watch that team poorly coached. Like, I, think they're, I don't think they're like, unorganized. Like, I think they compete. They miss free throws and they turn the ball over, but it's because their whole team is at, playing out of position. Right, like LLS is missing missing free throws at the end of the Bellarmine game because 
Ellis played all 40 minutes. Ellis is turning the ball over eight times because Ellis, Ellis is a combo guard being asked to play point guard, and the two and the three are really a three and a four. Right. He has to be the point guard. He has to be the leading scorer. He has to create every shot. Like And guard the ball. He's he's going to average five turnovers a game this year, and it might and and that might be an accept an acceptable number. Yeah. So Leo's Leo's in disarray. Um, we talked about him a little bit, but like, man, oh man, like that's a problem, 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 because they're going to lose twenty games. And when they lose twenty hey, games and don't have DJ Wagner. This is not going to be a comfortable spring for Kenny Payne. You got to hit that portal, and you oh, got to yeah. hope that your pieces that you're playing this year, your Jalen Withers, your Mike James, you know, that they stick it out. Yeah. But also, like, I saw a bunch of I saw a bunch of Louisville fan tweets because I tweeted something. I thought it was a pretty measured take. Like, look, like this team was doomed by the roster construction, the competing, whatever, and it was like. You don't understand, like they were recruiting against the, uh, you know, the NCAA sanctions that could have been coming. We couldn't get players. I was like, come on, like, I don't, I don't know enough like physical recruits to call them and say would you have went, but like, I know generally that like there were a bunch of kids out there who would have sprinted to an opportunity to play at Louisville. Right? It's Louisville. That brand is iconic. That fan base is iconic. You have NIL, like, how can you, how can you say that you couldn't have gotten, and again, like, I'm not saying, like, I watched Boston College the other day. Mason Madison would help this Louisville team. Mason Madison might not even be a good enough starter for Boston College, but he would help, right? He wouldn't be, he'd be better than Percy Miller. Fabio Basili hasn't played a freaking minute yet. Like, what are you doing? This team has... Ellis, who was like an elite, elite JUCO recruit. Sidney Curry, who I think was the number one JUCO recruit, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Well, and I understand. Has, so the argument was w- w- specific to this spring because the sanctions were coming close. Like that, that people knew that it was coming, and that was like that was being a further deterrent than normal. People thought that they'd been coming for the last five years. And Devin Reed, top 100. Kamari Lands, top 75. Michael James, I think, was top 75. Only Hatfield was a five-star. Trainer, top 100. Wheeler, top 100. I mean, they got guys. They just don't have the right – they need guards and shooting and creation. But in and this spring, and this spring, like, the idea that you couldn't oh, – like, like screw ACC level. Like, let's go through the American, the kids that they got in the portal who would help this team right now. Do you think that uh, Colby Rogers or Jaron Pierre or Xavier Bell would be helping Louisville right now? Yeah. Well, Coley Rogers might not be, but that's another story. Um, like, would Ethiel Horton be helping Louisville right now? Absolutely. C.J. Kelly, yeah. C.J. Okay. Kelly would be helping Louisville right now. Uh, Tyler Harris, Selton Miguel, Keyshawn Bryant, all those guys have dribbled a basketball before. That might help. And, you know, I don't I don't want this podcast to turn into Louisville every week, so maybe this is our, 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 well, our until last. Until something changes, like, it is what it is. Right. This 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 could be our last Louisville segment for a while, um, but it, I mean, we're we're definitely gonna follow it. We're definitely gonna. 
Well, I, 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 I feel bad because I put, I, I picked Louisville pretty high. Like I thought they'd be competitive. I know you were down on them. And I actually thought about it the other day, like when they were losing to right, like if the Jersey said Minnesota and not Louisville, would I have just, would I have left them completely for dead? Like we did last year with Minnesota. I mean, this this team's roster on paper was way more talented than that. Yes, yeah, but, but it's still clearly flawed. It was awesome the same thing. It was awesome, yeah. Same thing. It's clearly flawed. What was the third by game, though, that you wanted to talk about? Uh, Wichita and then URI. Yeah, URI, Trouble. Wichita, Trouble. Wichita could really use Colby Rogers right now. No wonder they started their public pressure campaign to make CNLI. Um, yeah, which that that was not the right start for Isaac Brown. They've got some, uh, some stuff to fix. And they've got Richmond coming up this week. Not an easy game. Grand Canyon coming up next week. Not an easy game. Tarleton, notoriously hard team in a bye game to play. Thanksgiving weekend. Mizzou, like, you couldn't beat Alcorn. K-State, first week in December. Longwood, goodbye. Like, shoot. This is not going to be easy. And this, I actually, like, I don't know if they will, but, like, I would not be floored if Isaac Brown is the first coach fired this season. Hmm. That seems like a, it seems like the type of place that would make a midseason move. If they like start, if they start losing here, right? if they lost to Tarleton, if they lost, like, you know, if they're two and six, I could see that move. I'm not saying they will be, but like among the teams you think about, like where, where who would make a midseason coaching change? I could see it being Wichita. Don't hire the guy to keep the current players. I mean, it's so hard. You know, I mean, you won the league. Like you had to, you had to, like you were held hostage. You had to hire him once you won the league. You or I made the same mistake. But yeah, but David Cox had never won a conference title coaching a team with basketball players. I mean, we, you, you can say that they, that, that they had to, that, that they were cornered, but it was clearly the wrong move. I mean, at the time, we th- you could have thought – I think there was, like, a reason to think that Isaac Brown was a good coach based on what he accomplished. There was no evidence with David Cox. There was some evidence with Isaac Brown. That's my point. But either way, not all that important. Should we talk uh, Tennessee? Yeah. Tennessee today, uh, it really great first half. I mean, back and forth. And now Plavsic was out. But, you know – Fifth or sixth best player, we can't be, uh, you know, can't be asterisk. No asterisk. Yeah, no asterisk. Everything. But, you know, what uh, what was appealing about Tennessee, you know, the roster was big. It was physical. They were going to play two bigs. They were going to, you know, dominate the paint there with Robinson, uh, Nakamwa, and then Plavsic and Adu, right? They're going to be long and uh, really beat you up like they did to Gonzaga. Uh, they they went small. If, if if my eyes were deceiving me, I thought that they rolled out a lineup in this game with Meshack and James at the four or five uh, in, in that first half. And you know, it, well, when when Olivier Kama was one for eight and Julian Phillips is one for six, like yeah, who's playing? You know, yeah, it it, it was a back and forth kind of ragged first half, and then Colorado started hit, hitting shots in the second. Tristan De Silva hit a few huge ones. Um, KJ Simpson was great. 
really closed that game down the stretch, and Colorado gets a, a stunning win. Uh, I I was convinced that Tennessee would handle them. I mean, I was I was very sure that that was going to be a much closer game. Tad Boyle and Rick Barnes are super close. Um, you know, it's it's not on campus. Colorado is coming off getting you know having a disappointing performance. You think they're going to play better, bounce back? They did. I just was stunned by how poor Tennessee was. I mean, the defensive effort was terrible. The ball security was terrible. The shooting was terrible. You, they shot they shot 27% from three, and they shot worse from two. They shot, they shot six for 26 from two in that game. Like, that's awful. So I'm not panicking. I know Zakai Ziegler was kind of drew the ire of uh, Rick Barnes. Uh, it was Rick Barnes he wasn't going to start Zakai anymore because Zakai you know clearly wasn't ready for it or whatever. I'm not like super worried about it. This is just like something to track, just like how they navigate all of this. But I think at the end of the day, you saw like the upside with the Gonzaga game. You saw the downside here. I think it all comes down to still being like. 10 to 15 nationally where I had them, but like, we'll see. They're off to Atlantis uh, next week. So we'll learn something there, but I think, I think they'll be okay. I'm not, I'm not, that was just one of the, like Tennessee played so badly in that game where it's almost like impossible to think they, they're that bad. They can't be that bad. I mean, muscovy has been a great shooter. Ziegler was wild, and he he was missing some finishes at the rim, but you know he can score. We you know, we we know that those guys can play. He was he 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 hit a couple of a uh, couple of threes I saw, but Fox were having two for nine. I, I I wouldn't guess that. I thought he played a little bit better. Um, but if they need those guys to hit shots, especially if you're not going to have that superimposing front line. Yeah, agreed. Any other results we should on, or should we just get to the upcoming week and some of the games we want to talk about? Sure. Um, yeah. Let's talk Champions Classic first. Um, I'm I'm kind of interested with a few things. Number one, the Duke Kansas game is so interesting to me because Kansas has been playing small with uh, KJ Adams at the five more than 50% of the time. KJ Adams is a really talented player. He's also six foot seven. Um, Kind of an athlete, not a great shooter, but like it's probably more perimeter oriented than anything else. Can like handle the ball a little bit. So different than like the traditional Bill South Center. But like so much of their offense is like post ups, post pins. KJ Adams is not that guy. And I'm very curious to see how that, that meshes in a game where you're playing against a Duke team that's going to play two bigs a lot, that's going to play two traditional centers in the rotation, Derek Lively and Ryan Young. Like, how does 6'7", 230 KJ Adams deal with Derek Lively and Ryan Young post-ups? Do you just kind of say, okay, you can have them? Like, like does Kansas just say, okay, like, if, if Duke beats us by posting up Ryan Young, Duke beats us by posting up Ryan Young? Like, I'm super curious about that matchup because Kansas, for, for the most part, looks the part. Jalen Wilson appears to have made the jump. Grady Dick's been efficient. Um, you know, MJ Rice is good. We know McCullers can play. Him and Harris are elite defenders, right? Like, They'll get something from in, on the interior from Uday, you know, 6'11", 250. That's more of your traditional kind of Bill Self center. But 
we've seen a lot of KJ Adams at the five. I'm just very curious to see how that works itself out against the team in Duke. It's going to play a lot bigger. And on the other side for Duke, like Duke's a team that has not been tested. It's not really played a competitive minute. First real test for Shire, but really you know, an opportunity to see who, where this team's identity is, right? Like in a, in a big moment, where do they look? Is it Roach? Is it Filipowski? Is it one of the veterans like Young or Grandison? Is it Tyrese Proctor who's really struggled? Mark Mitchell's leading him in scoring. Is it him? You know, obviously, uh, Derek Whitehead would be an option there. Like they have a lot of good players, but there's no Paolo Bencaro. There's no Zion Williamson. There's no um, Vernon Carey. There's no even like he, there's no there's no Trey Jones. That high-level point guard, like Jeremy Roach, hasn't proven to be that guy yet. So I'm really curious to see, like, when in, in in tough moments in this game, who are the answers for this team? And Tyrese Proctor, who was very hyped as a potential lottery pick, he's been quiet to start. Yeah, I I think Kansas with their their switchability and their length two through five, I think that could give Duke a lot of issues. I mean. Lively is not necessarily someone who you just post up and dump the ball inside. Correct. So we'll see if he can take advantage of his six-inch height advantage over Adams. Uh, Young is, though, so maybe Young has a huge game, but Adams is much more athletic than Ryan Young. So that, that, that'll be an interesting one to follow. Um, but, yeah, it, I, maybe Mark Mitchell, who's one of their more athletic players and ha- has had a very good start, you know, maybe he's neutralized by a McCullough or Jalen Wilson's length, you know, they, they can match his length, um, kind of athleticism there on on the perimeter. And it's really going to come down, I think, to uh, how much offense Duke can generate. Yeah. And then the other game of the Champions Classic, Michigan State versus Kentucky, um, probably not going to see Shibwe. Maybe he could come back, but I would assume no. Um, They've been rolling without. Yes. Well, uh, Ugana Onyenso has been really good backup center. They've been basically platooning the minutes, and he's been blocking shots at a ridiculous clip. It'll be very interesting to see once Shibwe back, does he start to eat into the wear minutes and start playing? He was originally thought as a redshirt candidate. He's been clearly ahead of schedule. That and the fact that Kentucky, their guards have been much better. The the wings with Frederick and Reeves. Reeves has 10 threes in two games. Um, you know, that's that's scary. If if they if if those wings are gonna make shots and you're gonna have a legit backup for Oscar in terms of a guy who can really bring energy and defense instead of Ware, who's more just like a I, I like Ware, but like he does there's nothing like Ware adds. Other than rebounding, but he's not better at rebounding than Cheapway, right? If you had like, a, oh, we're going to bring in Kingsley and let him protect the rim, like that's sick. Yeah, where where doesn't really have a place when uh, Sheboy's back. Yet, you going to Kingsley is like one of the best shot blockers in the country. Sheboy is the best rebounder in the country and a force inside. You have so much athleticism on the wings, Toppin and Collins and Livingston and Wallace, and you have the shooting. And you have a, sh- a strong point guard with, with Wheeler. So this, this uh, you know, through two bye games, Kentucky's looking really strong. They're looking 
really complete and will get their first test against Michigan State where they will clearly be more athletic and their size should really bother the, the Michigan State guards. Yes. Right? Like, I, 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 I don't imagine Joey Hauser or Malik Hall um, giving, you know, really killing Toppin on the offensive end or anything like that. And one Same of them have to, one of them theoretically might, Wheeler and Wallace. Yeah, yeah. One, one of them also theoretically might have to chase around like CJ Frederick, which will be fun to watch. Yeah. I could see Kentucky blow them away, but also like I think Michigan State just kind of has that grit and toughness and identity that will help them stay in games. They have a great point guard in Hogard or a very good point guard in Hogard. Like I I think it could be close. But I, on paper, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to back Kentucky and not a lot of reasons to back uh, Michigan State in this game. Um, what else did you want to hit on Tuesday? You want to hit Marquette and Purdue? Yes, that's exciting. That's a very interesting game. Um, I thought Purdue looked pretty good when I watched a little bit of the Milwaukee game on Election Day. Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer looked very solid. Edie's Edie. Um, you know, but I think obviously the firepower question comes more into focus when you play a team like Marquette. Um, obviously Marquette is much more talented than Milwaukee or Austin P, but they have their own questions with Cam Jones. Um, uh, Oso Igadero might have a tough day at the office against Zachy. Oso is like half, half the width of Zachy. It's like one leg. Yeah, Marquette is quicker, they are faster, they are more athletic, but the big elephant in the room is they are one of the smaller, if not one of the smallest, power six teams. And Igadaro is like 6'9", but he's very slight. He's very skinny. Um, so they're they're, they're going to have to make this game like a complete like slop, press, no like half-court possession. They're going to get killed at this game in the half-court. They're gonna have to like double ED right. prior to the catch, like have one front and one waiting there and help. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing with Igadaro is, while he is very athletic, he is not a shooter. You can't so really maybe, pull him away. Yeah. Right. So maybe we get some Ben Gold at the five to just well, push that floor. If they don't, right? Let us let us play ED and drop. Like they're already going to. But you're and just I gonna... mean, let's let's be honest. Oso's going to pick up two fouls in the first, what, 10 minutes? And then Gold is probably going to pick up two fouls. 10 is exceedingly generous to Oso. Yeah. I mean, three are going to – Marquette's frontcourt depth is going to be seriously tested. Uh, And and Reitzel, who's like their kind of tough rebounding big, he missed their last game with a sore knee. So uh, that is is the thing to watch. Can Marquette exploit their speed – and their skill and their athleticism while at the same time not getting crushed by one of the best post scorers in recent college basketball memory. I agree with you. Um, that, that'll be an interesting game. A good litmus test for both teams. See how Purdue handles playing a high major team, how their guards handle pressure, right? Like that's obviously a huge concern. Marquette's going to come in waves. Um, Marquette so, is really good in the pick and roll because Kolek um, is a terrific passer. Right, but they're not gonna. They're not even gonna. Like, I don't know how they play half court possessions. How Purdue 
plays half court. No, Mark Kelly. Like I, I don't. I have no no understand no understanding of how like if this game is at all in the half court, how they're ever gonna get a stop. So. Yeah, yeah, half court defense. Yes. Right, but if you're playing half court offense, how are you gonna let them play transition? You know, like you need this game to just fly, and never be comfortable. There needs to this needs to be disjointed as hell. And I mean, even if the ED thing though doesn't work against Marquette for whatever reason, yeah, they have two serious bigs off the bench with Caleb First, who started last year for you know most of the early part of the season. He can really rebound. He's physical. He can step out and shoot a little bit. And then Trey Trey Kaufman, who uh, another former top 50 recruit in his own right. So Trey Kaufman looks like a cross between Mason Gillis and a center. Like, he's not quite as skilled as Gillis, but he has, like, kind of, like, energy and toughness. And then, but he's, like, kind of could play the five on a lot of teams. It's kind of interesting. Um, um, you want to do Memphis-St. Louis? I mean, I'm very curious to see how Memphis handles a team with that many good guards. That's going to be a very athletic game. I don't know that I have a good feel either way. I think probably Salou because they're at home. I might go Memphis. I mean, they have the two best players in the game, I think, with Williams and Davis. Now, seeing yeah, but I mean, Yuri Collins is pretty darn good. Well, I mean, isn't Davis and, and Williams? I mean, they're not the the, the same type of player. Um, but you know, those. I mean, those I think I would take Blues starting five over Memphis is starting five. I don't think I would. Fair enough. I mean, Memphis has the physicality in there with Dandridge. To you love Michael Dandridge so much. Every <laughs> opportunity Brad gets to talk about the defensive center, he's going to leave it. People in don't like the physical defensive center. They, they like the shot blockers. They like the three-point shooters. Oh, you yeah. know, they, they, they don't like someone who's just going to go in there and just like hit people and get eight and eight and patrol the paint. Yes. Um. Looking ahead the rest of the week, Gonzaga, Texas, feel there? I mean, I think Gonzaga loses at least one of Kentucky, uh, of Texas and Kentucky. I'd say probably the Kentucky game, but that's a home game. This is a road game, first big game at the new Moody Center in, in Austin. Um, Texas has very good guards. Not totally sure how they guard Timmy. Right, they are as small, if not smaller than Marquette. Well, wh- last year... Last year, Tech, when Tech played Gonzaga, they just let Timmy play one-on-one the whole time. It was, you know, he was on the island with, like, Timmy Allen um, and Christian Bishop, and they just got killed. And I'm curious to see what, if the strategy changes at all. I know they've been starting Disu at the five, hoping for a little rim protection. I know he blocked some shots with Vandy. We'll see how that goes, right? I think I, my lean is, like, on, on a neutral court, my lean would be Gonzaga, on the road, my lean would be Texas, but then like the same goes on the road for Kentucky and Spokane. Like on a neutral, I would take Kentucky right now, but on the road, maybe I'd take Gonzaga. So I think the Zags beat Texas and they lose to Gonzaga. I I think the Timmy and just the the size is going to pose the the Texas Bigs problem. How about uh how about Friday night Indiana Xavier? That's an interesting one. Xavier's offense has been on fire. Kiki Tandy had like 
four threes the other night. Back from the death. I mean, he we we talk often. I'm really, it's, I'm I'm constantly bringing it up about oh, in 2011, this is how this roster move would have went. In 2015, this is how this roster move would have went. You know, whether using the portal or getting your sit out guy, you're just flying with a freshman. I, I don't care what era it is. The Kiki Tandy is transferring. Right. Yes. This is his third or fourth year. He's barely played. He, uh, his, his minutes have progressively decreased, too. And he's been hurt. And now he's, he's starting to two and hit hitting shots for this potent Xavier offense. Um, I, this is a really tough one. I, I really have no idea. Um, Xavier's at home. In, Indiana's got so much more athleticism, but Xavier's been shooting the crap out of the ball. It's going to be a, a must-see game early early evening on Friday. Tough atmosphere. Too. Yeah. Tough atmosphere. I think I think that's a type of game where like like Indiana winning this game would tell me a lot about Indiana. And and almost like having nothing to do with the fact that well whether Xavier is good or not. Look, I don't think we know yet how good Xavier is. But finding a way to go into a really hostile atmosphere and winning that game, I think would tell me a lot about where Indiana is mentally. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing how, seeing how they manage that test. That, that Friday night actually might be my most, like the slate I'm most excited for. Like four super high quality games, and I can just kind of chill. I was thinking about going to Villanova, Michigan State. I'm leaning no at this point. Like, I'm going to stay home, watch these games. Like Baylor, Virginia, what, what an outstanding basketball game that could be. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's a, as even of a matchup as it looks right now on paper. I, 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 I think Baylor could have run away with it. I, I think I agree, but again, it could be like a tempo war, right? Like if, if Virginia's able to make this thing a half-court game. I mean, Baylor's got it. On paper, a great half-court offense, you know, led by three shot-making guards. Right, but I I, I would take if, – if I can get a pick, right? Like it's, it, it's right now it's Virginia minus one on Ken Palm. If I can get a pick, I will absolutely take Baylor. If I can get Vir- Baylor minus two, minus three, I'm taking Baylor. But like I, it's a very good test for this Baylor team, no doubt. Virginia's is such boosted by this Ken Palm experience. Um, yeah. The fact that they used so many previous years. Yeah. Um, and they're bringing it all back from a team that's 72nd last year, and they had a blowout by game against Monmouth, uh, which Monmouth seems to be one of the worst teams. Certainly in the MAC and maybe in the country. You're in the CAA now, Brad. Keep up. Oh my God. Keep up, Brad. Let's go. Well, they're go. certainly one of the worst teams in the CAA. Yes. But I had no idea that they weren't in the MAC. I had none. I mean, nobody cares. Um, and then they were played pretty tight for most of the game with NC Central. So. NC Central is a great dog, though. Like really good in those type of spots. So not surprised. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited about UCLA versus, versus Illinois. I think UCLA probably has a good chance to kind of punk them, right? But it's a good opportunity for some of these Illinois guys, you know, these talented transfers, to prove their worth. I think it will be the first real test for Sky Clark and Dane Danger. Because Sky Clark has really, you know, he's been up and down so far in two games. Danger's been really, really good, but the practice reports on Danger were not necessarily so positive. So I'm curious if once he's not playing against former runoffs like uh, Jermaine Hamlin, if Mr. Mr. Danger comes crashing back to earth. 
Adem Bona for UCLA is big and he is physical and he can move. So that that'll certainly be a test. Uh, and in theory, they are going to need Dania to match Bona's physicality, right? Because Hawkins is more of a finesse player. Um, we'll see if that gives them an advantage playing Hawkins, pulling Bona away from the rim. But this UCLA defense should be really good because they got Hawkins and Clark as well. Campbell's very strong at the point of attack. Um, I don't, I don't know much about Bailey's uh, defensive chops yet, but we'll see him on Friday night. Um, one, one game from earlier in the week that we didn't mention was Iowa Seton Hall. Yes. Great litmus test for both teams. Seton Hall's defense has been top notch in both their bye games. Iowa's offense has been on fire. Chris Murray especially. Um, so that'll be an interesting contrast as a as an appetizer to Gonzaga, Texas on Wednesday night. Yeah, I'm excited for that game. Well, you said the contrasting styles was really interesting. Um, I love I love this Iowa schedule. They get they get like heat a lot for not scheduling. This year their schedule is really tough. They have Seton Hall on the road. Duke on a neutral. Um, they play in an MTE in uh, North. I think it's like the uh, like the Sunshine Slam or something. It's one of the Florida ones. They're playing Clemson in their opener there. Um, I think they have one other. They, the, the the ACC Big Ten organizer who put Iowa against Georgia Tech was not really doing their job there. But otherwise, no complaints. That's seen long game. It's a great test for Iowa. I love their offense. But the like lack of a true point guard could be interesting against that Seton Hall defense. And Seton Hall has, you know, great positional size with guys like Richmond and Odakale. They have their their bigs who are, who are pretty athletic with Jackson and Samuel. They have Casey Nadefo and Dre Davis, who are these kind of physical, wingy bigs. Um, so they have defenders all over the court. So. Tony Perkins, 11 assists, one turnover so far. You didn't want to mention Georgetown Northwestern on Tuesday? That That's a race to the bottom. Georgetown, I will say, I, w- test. I was in, I don't think it is actually, Brad. Because someone is going to claim that they're kind of good by winning that game. <laughs> and in reality, it's just that which team is really bad. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, Georgetown, George, Georgetown, when they were like struggling at halftime with Green Bay, I was ready to like sell every piece of stock I own, and then I'm like, okay, this team's gonna be like one and nineteen in the league again. But they did come back. They played much better in the second half. They woke up. Maybe the game being at like 11 a.m. Part of the reason why they struggled. Still have very little confidence in them. But that'll be quite quite an interesting game in D.C. for Northwestern. Like Northwestern, like if Chris Collins wants to like build a little buzz, like make a case why he should hang in there. Got to be Georgetown. Got to be Pitt at home. Got to be Kapal at home. Like those three games, I might be still in the hunt in January games. Win those three, you'd be kicking. But I think the more likely thing is they lose to Georgetown. They could get picked off by, they could get knocked off by Fort Wayne on Friday. In the midst of the mayhem, that'd be a good, big good Collins loser. Uh, <laughs> Liberty, uh, that's another tricky one for the Wildcats. So, 
They've passed their two-by game so far, although they scored 63 points against Northern Illinois, which is not all that impressive. I'm just going to say that. A Northern Illinois team Northern Illinois team that lost to Division II Illinois Springfield to open the year. They've got they've got some names though. Guess guess who starts for Northern Illinois? Oh. Zarek Nutter. Oh, former St. Peter's, is that right? Yeah, yes, that's right. Former randomly like a top recruit out of nowhere and then like goes silent type guy. Um, Saturday we have the Mohegan Sun tournament with St. Louis, Maryland, and Miami Providence. I mean, those four teams on paper are as evenly matched They're as evenly you can get for a field. Absolutely. See if the, Providence can be a little more convincing. It's three coin flip games there. Four coin flip games. Absolutely. Yeah, Providence... Uh, a lot of self-inflicted nonsense in the first half. Really just like the last five minutes of the first half. Are you back on the Bynum wagon after 21 and 9 on 12 I never shots? left the Bynum wagon. Were, uh, are the fans back on the Bynum wagon? Oh, yes, yes. The fans were very off and now back, back very on. Back, back, uh, back, 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 back. Yeah, he had his head screwed on straight, went went to the basket, created a lot of offense. Uh, but, yeah, they uh, – Ryder is definitely much better than Northeastern's. They're definitely way more talented. Your 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 favorite player though, Jamil Telford for Northeastern. You love that kid. He didn't he, he didn't look so hot in this one, but um, oh, too bad. Chase Chase Cormier looked good. J- Jared Turner showed some flashes. I like Jared Turner. And the guy, the guy Stucky hit like five threes. Oh, Coleman Stuka. Stuka. Well, most of those were uh, self-inflicted Providence errors, but yeah, he's a good stretch four. He's a stretch four who's never made shots in his career, so. Yeah, I guess. It was good Good to not have a nail biter. Impressive through two games for a 6-7 guy to have one total rebound. Two total rebounds, excuse me. That's Stuka, yeah. Yeah, Stuka. Anyway, anything else? Nope. Alrighty, folks. Enjoy your lead-up to Feast Week. I don't know what that would be. Diet Week? Gavit Games Train plus... for the Turkey Trot Week? Gavit Games plus Appetizer MTEs. Are you a turkey trot guy, Brad? Turkey trot, like running? You're not like a 5K guy Thanksgiving? No, no, no. I'm a watch watch television guy. Oh, yeah. I'm only done with The Crown. I got two two episodes left of The Crown. Are you a Crown guy? I have not watched it yet, no. 1899 comes out on Thursday. That's my... Most anticipated show of the year. Oh, baby. Are you waiting eagerly for 1899 to drop on Thursday morning? I don't have time. I just watch ball. You got got to make time for 1899. I mean, this is from the creators of Dark. Did you watch Dark? No. Oh, my God. What are we going to do with you? Brad needs a separate podcast for his true passion, watching television. Well, I've never... I don't know if I'm capable of podcasting about television. I've never done it. And it's not like basketball where you can just talk about the next game or the next player. Right. You yeah. like really got to dig deep and like talk about. You would just feel like this show is good. You should watch it. Very good characters. Right. The, all right, the, next the, show. The uh, people who podcast about TV, they, they like get into all this 
all this nonsense. Um, oftentimes dives into like uh, not like symbolism, but there are the, a lot of it's like um, a book report. Yeah, exactly. That's no good. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Yeah, hopefully everyone finds something they're passionate about as uh, Brad is about watching television. I, I'm excited for this week in basketball. It's going to be a lot of fun. Not a lot of time for, for TV. I'm sure Brad will make oh. time. I don't know if I will. I got a lot to get to. So, well, I mean, we got huge slate on Tuesday. Huge I'm, slate. I'm really interested in Butler Penn State on Monday, which is going to take up most of the evening. Right? We got... A great doubleheader on Wednesday with Iowa Seton Hall and Gonzaga, Texas. Thursday is probably your TV night. Yeah, Thursday is what, like St. John's in Nebraska and some of these M- MTE first. Colorado rounds. State, Colorado State versus South Carolina. Um, and but, then uh, Friday Loyola, we have Minnesota. Indiana Xavier, the main event games, and Villanova, Michigan State. So, yeah. it is ba- basketball central here. Well, I will be over at the Champions Classic on Tuesday. Very excited about that. Indianapolis bound. I love Indianapolis. Everyone knows that. But I'm a huge fan of the city. Uh, So headed down Tuesday morning uh, with my guy, Jeremy Wu, and we will cover the games there. Keep you all posted. I know the Field 68 is doing live shows at a bar in Indianapolis, so keep an eye out for that. I will uh, probably be making an appearance at some point. So if you're looking for a reason to see my beautiful mug, there you have it. So, all right, folks, we'll see you next week.